Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready. Another great show is coming up. Hey, good morning to all our listeners. This is Jeff Johnson, your host of Local Leaders Podcast. And uh, we are uh, excited today to be able to introduce you to an uh, entrepreneur, restaurateur, Mr. Johnny Clark. Um, John owns, uh, Johnny owns a public table right outside of Milwaukee. Um, and it's West Dallas, to be exact. And welcome to the show, Johnny. We're glad to have you. Well, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we're... we're uh, Thrilled to have you and looking forward to, to kind of hearing about your story and learning more about Public Table and, and what you guys are all about and uh, and then digging into your brain a little bit <clears throat> to see if we can pull some some nuggets out that can help some of our listeners with the challenges that, that they're facing, you know, in their restaurant. Um, some of them are very common and, and sometimes there's some there's some uh, variations. But uh, anyway, we look forward to getting into it. So I, I want to open the floor up to you and just kind of have you tell us a little bit about Public Table and, and where it all came from. Well, Public Table, uh, I have two partners, too, uh, Randy Brazier and Christopher Kranz, uh, and they were both in the industry. Uh, Randy's semi-retired, lives in Houston, Christopher lives in Wauwatosa, which is right next to West Dallas. It all started, um, I came back to Milwaukee and uh, we met at a, a restaurant right next to a public table called Kegels. And we were having a few beers and uh, Christopher and Randy approached me and said, hey, listen, we have this you know, restaurant we'd like to do with you. Um, you know, here's the idea and the format behind it. And as we kept on talking, we were talking about what's wrong in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, unfair wages for some employees or what we call non-liberal wages um traceable food um you know the culture of giving back to the community uh, and after many conversations we really kind of stumbled on the idea of how to start public table it wasn't it wasn't stumble upon it was some strategic planning on how to to get us to where we wanted to be and what type of restaurant we wanted to open uh -huh. so one of the things that um we concentrated on was selecting you know local partners uh you know, beer, um, produce, um, proteins, you know, breads, and then basically partner up with, you know, community organization, nonprofit, which we did with is a hunger task force. Uh, craft, uh, you know, craft cocktails with local distilleries. So, you know, that's, that's how we opened up public table. Um, and that's how the concept came into fruition. So, you know, that's, that's basically what we are today. You know, we're traceable food, we're local, um, we give back to the community um, and, uh, you know, we're working at it. Tell me, tell me about traceable food. Uh, that, that's a term I'm not as familiar with and maybe some folks in our audience are not. I'd love, love to understand that better. Traceable food is, you know, when you come in our restaurant, we can tell you, you know, where the meat came from, where the produce is coming from most of the time. Um, you know, when you get into non-farm season, um, you know, 
we we get stuff from our local produce uh, provider. Right. Um, but during during you know the summer and once the, the farmers market opens, then we start buying from the local farmers. Um, you know, great example. Breadsmith is a local um, bakery that we buy our breads from. We get our eggs from Yuppie, Yuppie Hill Eggs. Um, you know, so that's that's what traceable is. Got it. Got it. And it's interesting that you that that you guys sat around uh, having a beer and kind of talking about all the things that were wrong, um, you know, on, on the uh, or in the industry and, and decided to create a concept that, that tried to, uh, uh, I guess, tried to adjust or, or fix some of that um, traceable food being one of them. And, and tell me about wages. And, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but um, you know, the unlivable wages. Are you guys did you find a way to, to improve that situation? Right. Well, you know, in Wisconsin, tip tip for waitresses or wait staff I should say is two thirty nine an hour. Um, you know, and then they they basically work for you know that wage and then keep all their tips. So what we did was we decided to pay one wage, and then have a, a tip pool where um, everybody's tipped down, including back of the house. Uh, and right now they're averaging about $22 an hour. Wow. So it's, you know, it's livable wage. They don't have to work three jobs. Um, and it, it works out for everybody. Some of, you know, some of the, the issues that you run into with that though, is you have some high end servers, uh, who came and worked for us and, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't really embrace the concept of sharing their tips. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't for them, but it's it's a great entry level for people who want to get into the service part of it, um, because we're pretty um, ease of use for you know the servers, so to speak. We kind of designed it that way. You know, during peak times, we use runners and, and whatnot, and you know the whole the whole concept behind it is being in front of the guests and having that connection. So um, you know, it's it's and we keep it lean. We designed it that way also. Yeah, so so just to, to dig into that a little bit deeper, because I, I've had a lot of people ask me about, um, you know, how you make adjustments to the to the the paying front, you know, the, the compensation component in a restaurant. And, um, you know, there, there's been diff- different ways people have approached it. But basically, did you guys wait, raise your minimum um, hourly wage to offset um you know, or, or from that two thirty nine, can you can you dig a little deeper on that? Yeah, we we pay everybody a flat rate of ten dollars an hour. Got it. Right. So, and then we we kind of did some math in the beginning. You know, the, the tip pool wasn't that big, but now that we're becoming a more known restaurant in the, the county of Milwaukee, and and actually, you know, we get a lot of out of state visitors that that come in, which is kind of surprising. Like when baseball games happen. You know, we get a ton of people in Chicago, St. Louis, Cincinnati, the teams that travel well seem to come to us. And then when there's big events in, in the city, too, we get a lot of um, out-of-state visitors. So, you know, over the last three years and post-COVID, you know, the business has been growing. That's awesome. That's great to hear. And and did, you know, by changing that, going to that $10 an hour flat kind of deal and then a tip pool for the front of house and back of house are sharing, how did that impact your overall labor? cost did it take it up did it come down it, it took it, it took it up and we knew it'd be up um you know and that's part of you know you, you just build that into your business model 
right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. The, the thing that I, well, I guess we'll talk about that later in the challenges is there was some unforeseen costs increase, um, you know, post COVID. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, I was, I was just curious as to, to kind of how that looked. And of course, that's, that's the model for any business is, you know, wherever your costs are, uh, even if they're not an ideal, you've got to reflect it. Um, you know, you've got to get it from somewhere else, either on the revenue side or, or cut other costs. So, um, you know, I'm not so I, I'm not sure why there's so much resistance to doing more of what you're doing across the country. But, you know, it's people are hard to change. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and there, there are people who use this because we do a, a pay a fair wage. Uh, and they like that idea and they don't mind the offset of the cost, right? So they're on board for that. Yeah. You know, if you, look at, if you look at the European model, I mean, there's no such thing as shipping, right? So everybody, you know, everybody gets a wage and that's how they run their restaurants and their service industry. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know that. I have, uh, that's new information to me. I didn't know that in Europe, that, that tips were not the norm uh, or maybe not even, are they not practiced at all over there? Um, you know, in some, you know, it, it depends, it, it, yeah. but it's not, it's not part of, it's not expected part of the gratuity. It's yeah. not, it's, it's, you know, that's, it's built into the cost of the food. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned getting into the, the challenges and things like that. And, and again, you guys have been in operation for how many years now? Uh, it was three years in August. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So you were, you were kind of just getting going before COVID. Um, right. about and, and finding your feet and getting traction and all that good stuff. So um, let's, let's talk about the challenges. What, what are kind of, what were some of the, the bigger obstacles that you ran into, you know, uh, from getting started to today? Well, you know, the, one of the biggest things that, well, West Dallas is, you know, is a blue collar um, city. And when we drop, you know, public table in there, there weren't any type of restaurants really like us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and people thought we were farm to table. We're not farm to table. Uh, and one of the other things we, which was unconventional for us is we're a low carbon footprint kitchen. Um, so we have no deep fryers, no open flames, no griddles, nothing like that. We cook out of, you know, technology. It, it, we basically utilize technology to help us, you know, design the kitchen. So we use um equipment that does not release any pollutants into the atmosphere so they got catalytic converters and different you know different things so you know we were really innovative with the kitchen so when you know people come in and they're like you know we'd like to get french fries this that and the other and we're like we don't do that type of food right so that that was one of the challenges uh you know and then we in 2019 uh, general sentinel i'm sure yeah general sentinel basically recognized us as a top 10 restaurant to open in Milwaukee County. So that really started getting us going. And then we get, we've got more accolades and more accolades and more accolades. Uh, and, and like I said, our food's approachable. It's elevated bar food. It's not high-end, you know, plates, but it's just consistent elevated bar food. Um, and then social media got going with us. We had three articles in Milwaukee Magazine. So, you know, basically looking at us as a top you know, top eight brunch spot. So, you know, that, that's, those were the things that got us going. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue for us is, you know, our location, it's a C location and we knew that. So once we knew that, and we know now that we're, we're a, a 
you know, restaurant in a C location. And we know that if we drop it into a couple other areas, you know, it's going to do well. Yeah. So but we don't, what we got to do is we got to understand that we don't want to, we don't want to cannibalize, you know, people coming here. That's, that's the big angst. So we're going to have to go somewhere far enough that people are going to still travel to, to us. And that's the biggest issue is our, our users are not from, you know, within a mile of us, you know, they're, because we can track things via, you know, basically little widgets that you put in and, you know, people right. ask for direction. So, you know, from the most part, you know, it's the North Shore. We, we have people driving 20 minutes to come and use us. That's that's the big issue. Yeah. But more and more people from West Dallas are starting to get it. And it, the regenification of West Dallas is happening. You know, some more restaurants dropped in the area. Um, and, and more are, are planning to, which will become now a foodie place. And once it becomes a foodie place, then it really starts to gain attraction, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And you sound like, I mean, you guys were kind of are already getting accolades and and press and different things like that. You know, talking about you and um, like you said, uh, you want to grow, but got to figure out kind of where that. Where, where it's safe to go uh, and maybe you don't you know maybe you want to stay local and you don't want to go too far so it kind of creates a, a catch 22. do you um do you guys you know i think when we talked before we we talked a little bit about um franchising we talked about growth and franchising and things like that kind of tell us can you tell us a little bit about what you're thinking and and what the future might look like for you guys yeah, well, the whole idea, the only, you know, the reason we did this, um, you know, we were all 30,000 feet guys, right? So um, the franchise was always in, in the picture. Um, you know, we, we did this, you know, I wouldn't be doing this for three years, well, actually four years now, because it took us about seven months to get this open. Um, I wouldn't have been doing it unless we we're going to, you know, go into the franchise model. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, we, we like the whole idea behind it. We're not sure, was, you know, what that's going to look like. First of all, we we're going to open a few more, you know, um, just to make sure that proof of concept is yeah. is there. Um, you know, and then we know a lot of people that, you know, this would appeal to because if you, if you think about it, um, you know, we're 1,500 square foot space um, with 50 seats. And there's so much dead real estate in the United States and bigger cities. Uh, and I shouldn't say dead real estate, but that's affordable, you know, lease models that you can drop into right. um, that were mom and top, pop retails, you know, like Chicago, Minneapolis. Um, they're all over the place where, you know, you have density of population, you have the, you know, A plus, you know, what I would consider an A plus location. Um, you know, and, you know, you can build this space out at a, at a pretty reasonable price. I don't know what it would be at post COVID because of, you know, the labor shortage and material shortages and everything else. But, you know, in back in 2019, you know, you could have, you could open one of these things up at a, at a reasonable price or taken over a local establishment and just drop what we do in. Yeah, and and I mean, with the concept that you have, it's very unique and very appealing to uh, a lot of people. And I'm thinking, uh, first place I'm thinking is uh, California. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. No, I just actually I just had a couple in from California, and they, yeah. um, they're brunch snobs, and they were like, 
and I, I hate to ring my own bell, but she was like, this is the best eggs Benedict I've ever had in my life. Oh, nice. You know? nice. And, uh, you know, it's just, and again, it's, it's, I stumbled on, it was Julia Child's uh, hollandaise sauce, you know, and it's, it's easy to execute. It's very executable. Um, and I, I tell everybody that. And it's, you know, so I just went to the, the person who makes, you know, classic hollandaise and it was Julia Child and I used the recipe. And but I, I would also say it's, you know, and when I mentioned the Yuppie Hill eggs, it's the mm -hmm. eggs that we used to. I mean, she's uh, it's a woman led company and, you know, just grain fed, you know, happy chickens lay great eggs. And that makes a difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you, you've got all that, you've got the local providers that, you know, when they're in season and you're able to, to go local and the, the fact that you've got the traceable uh, component built in there and the, the environmental um, friendliness of the store and all that, it just, you know, it's, it's a unique concept. It's a unique idea. You don't see it every day. Uh, and I would think that, you know, just that concept itself is, is very franchisable. And, um, you know, it's just a, a question of, like you said, getting every, everything to, in place, um, you know, proving out the concept, maybe getting to that A location. Uh, maybe that becomes your, your model, you know, going forward. Um, an A, a plus store, at least in an A location, right? Or a uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, the thing is, too, when we go into, let's say, let's say if, we franchised it out and went down to somebody in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. um, they would have to resource, you know, the liquor, the beer, all their foods, um, you know, down in those areas. Uh, and the one, one component that we do have um, that would limit um, growth nationally right now is we have somebody that produces a flatbread for us. It's an organic. Uh, and it's, it's up in uh, Waukesha, which is about, you know, 20 minutes from here uh, in a facility that um, they only can be distributed to Minneapolis, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, Michigan, and Illinois. So, you know, then, then we'd have to probably get them producing into a, you know, uh, a major supplier, you know, to distribute some of the things that we use that are, that are strictly local that I don't think somebody else could produce. Right. Right. So that 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 in itself is going to be something that's going to have to be thought out down the line. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to figure out a probably a solution to that because you don't want to have a, a mainstay item that uh, right. that is different, you know, in other locations. So, yeah, I, I can see that being a challenge. But just like any others that you faced um, since getting into this three and a half years ago or four years ago, you'll you'll find a way around it. And uh, I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll be the right move for you guys, um, and for your future future franchisees. Um, are you Are you guys currently looking for that A space? Um, you know, I guess. Yeah, you know, we, we just we're we're starting to look. We just want to we want to wait and see. You know, post COVID, how everything really shakes out. Yeah. Right. Because we don't want to get into a situation where the labor market says, hey, it's going to, you're going to have to pay $20, $25 an hour to get somebody in the doors to work for you. You know, everybody out there who, who has a small business right now is struggling to get people to work for them, us included. You know, it's been, a, uh, you know, for me, um, it's been quite the struggle because it's, you know, you, you got your, 
one side of the business that you have to manage, you know, the business side of it. And then you have the other model, which is, you know, the day-to-day operations. So it's really been some long days since, you know, uh, we've opened for business fully, you know, with where, you know, cause, and we're also lucky. We also have a patio outside that the uh, uh, city of West Dallas gifted uh, or basically vacation the street. Uh, so Kegel's got half the street and we got half the street. Uh, and uh, my business partner, Christopher, who owns the building, owns it. So, you know, so we, we had an extra hundred spots drop on us. And like I said, it's, you know, right now it's a struggle to get people to come in the doors and work, especially cooks. Yeah, That's, that's the hardest one. But, you know, people are starting to come back to the workforce. But so, like I said, that's, that's going to be the big struggle. And that's what we're going to wait out and see before we decide to, you know, open something. And, you know, because there's multiple, you know, restaurants in Milwaukee, people I know and I, you know, really, really like and look up to. Mm-hmm. They're still not open. They're still not open uh, fully. They're opening like three days a week. And, you know, I can, I can drag it on Melinda. Um, he's the only guy cooking in the kitchen. And I, that happened to me for about three to four weeks. Cause you know, that's, that's part of reality. You, you lose staff to um, the virus and they're out for, you know, they can be out a week. They can be out a month. Yeah. So, and then finding somebody to come in and work in a kitchen is, is a hard thing right now. Yes, sir. You, you're exactly right on that. And, uh, you know, we're facing that all over the country. Um, all of our restaurant owners out there are, are dealing with it. Um, you know, some of the really small ones that are kind of family run and, and they got enough family to pull in, they're able to, right. to, to get through it a little easier. But uh, for others, it's, it's definitely been a, a problem. Uh, but I love the fact that, you know, you guys um, you're kind of changing the changing the game a little bit on the wage side, and and that's hopefully is going to give you a competitive advantage, uh, especially as labor markets stabilize. Assuming that that happens <coughs> in the near future, that's a big assumption too, right? Right. Yeah, we we don't we don't know where that's going, but but we're all hoping that people will get back to work and come back into the industry and. Um, because the demand is there, you know, everywhere yeah. I go and everybody I talk to, there's, you know, they want to, people want to be fed, uh, and served. And it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a shame. You can't take advantage of that additional revenue opportunity today. Right. Right. And, and well, like I, you know, and I will, I will say this to the, to the guest model out there, uh-huh. they're very understanding and they're very supportive. Right. So the, you know, Everybody gets it. At first, a lot of people didn't get it, but now they understand because it's it's not only in our workforce, it's the, the workforce in general. But I would say this, that the guests using restaurants will only be so tolerant for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Because that experience has got to be there. That's part of what we do, you know, is provide great service. You know, and that's, that's going to be the issue down the line. Yeah, you got, you're exactly right. And, um, um, who knows what's going to, you know, what changes are going to, are going to kind of come from all these different pieces that we've had to deal with. And, um, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that it all goes in a, in a positive direction. And, and we find some relief here soon. Um, you know, not only on the staffing side, but the food shortages and the, the costs, uh, that, uh, restaurant owners are having to absorb. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then again, you know, starting now to pass those back along to the consumer. Um, so I don't know, it's kind of a vicious cycle when you look at the whole thing, um, you know, from a, a 30,000 foot point of view. 
So I don't know the solution, but we're all trying to find a way through it and continue to be successful and make money. And um, you guys have been able to do that. And, and um, you know, I'm thankful to be able to have the opportunity to talk to you and have you on uh, to share some of the things that you've had to go through and how you're how you're overcoming those. Um, so I appreciate you, you uh, letting us know that. Um, you know, on the how, how many employees do you have, by the way, on, on staff today? Well, this is this is what's great about the model. Right now, you know, ideally we should have 14. We have 10. Mm. I mean, you can, like I said, it's 1,500 square foot footprint. And during this summer, we, we, we run with about 18. But again, this summer was a little different. I mean, that's what I normally would work with. Mm -hmm. um, just for the fact social distancing and the rules and regulations that are along, you know, and we're with COVID virus that, you know, we follow CDC mandates, yes, you know, so we make sure that everybody's safe. So we didn't, we didn't, we didn't utilize the space as we normally would have. Right. So when we were overflowed, we didn't let really let people inside. We just usually was an outside. And then we moved, we, when the CDC said it was safe to, you know, do indoor dining again, then we offered it. And a lot of people really didn't want it because they, they prefer the outside seating. So we'll see what winter brings. That's going to be, you know, very interesting um, yeah. because I think there's still people who, you know, on whichever side of the fence you sit, you know, it's going to be it's going to be really difficult times again through the winter. Yeah. Yeah. That, that will be interesting to see because, uh, you know, I know in my local area, um, people seem to be happy to go indoors. Of course, if there's an outdoor space and weather is, is good and it's not, uh, I'm in North Carolina, so it's, you know, it'll be 90 degrees and feel like 110 with the humidity. Um, so that's not always an outside situation, but the uh, fall here is perfect and spring of course is, but wintertime is too cold to be outside. I, no, I spent two years in, in Charlotte, so I know oh, what yeah. the 1990s are. Yeah, yeah, you know all about it. It's uh, yeah, that was one of the guys in shorts in the winter. <laughs> You're one of those those guys that we all look at and say, "What in the world is he doing here?" Yeah, exactly. No, we're no, all wrapped no, up in our shorts. parkas. Yeah, we we got our little hoodies on and everything else, and freezing to death. But uh, that that's really cool. It, it, you know, I, I think he, as I said, you got a great concept, and uh, look forward to you guys getting you know another one or two of these these bad boys online and. Um, you know, as soon as, as the situation is more favorable, uh, that uh, you decide to, to jump ahead with that uh, because the opportunity certainly exists to franchise it and, um, and grow the business, which is what we're here to do. Um, you know, from a, I mean, let me just switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the, the metrics of the business somewhat. Um, you know, you guys are all um, high level guys. Are, are, are y'all looking, how closely are you watching the, the numbers and, and kind of what, what do you look at specifically to determine whether you've had a good day or a good week? Well, you know, sales are king, right? We all know that. Um, but what, what's really unique to this concept is we run about a 45% liquor cost. Um, and that's basically because we have some real cool design drinks that are easy to execute. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it might be just because it was a summer. It might be because post COVID, but that's, that's a big number in the industry. And it's not, it's not that we're like, everybody's having six, seven cocktails when not a bar when yeah. we're recognized as a restaurant. Um, so, you know, that, that was the biggest aha for us because everybody knows money you make in liquors. That that really helped us through. Um, we designed it, you know, that we could hit a forty percent food cost. Um, we're on target with that. 
Um, labor's a little higher than we thought it was going to be, but you know, that's, that's, that's an adjustment. And, and, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't understand are P&Ls really need to be fluid. Um, and they and this is my thinking, right? Because commodities, especially in this day and age are so volatile. Um, you know, you think you, you put a number out there and say this, it's a target, right? But yeah. in reality, it's fluid because product prices go up and down. Um, labor changes once in a while. Um, you know, luckily I didn't really have to go through and pay overtime, um, which would have really been detrimental to the business. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you, you keep your thumb on food and labor, uh, and liquor costs and, you know, you know, you do that weekly with inventories, um, you know, and, and partner up. And one of the things I really like, like I use square, um, but one of the things that I don't like about using a non-legacy system right now is that, um, you really can't get a theoretical against real food costs. It's, it's, yeah. it's not something that is programmed in there. And, you know, the web-based systems, I think we'll start to use it, um, you know, which is all, all inclusive, but we can get a pretty good idea where our theoretical food cost is supposed to be. So we, the target numbers are there. Um, and then the, the big piece to it is, like I said, is just making sure that when commodity prices go up, you really take a hard look at your menu and say, do I eat it or do I take it up, you know, and, and keep it at the cost where I want to. Right now we're, we're kind of eating it because we want to see where the rest of the industry is going to go with it. But eventually somebody's going to, you know, say, okay, I gotta, I gotta put, you know, I gotta raise my prices to cover the, the cost of commodities going up. Yeah. So, but that's, you know, you look at it, you look at it, you know, from the end of the day, um, you know, you keep your hand on cash and daily, and in, if you see issues within the business doing weekly, you know, inventories, then, then you go to daily, but that's just restaurant 101, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and you mentioned, um, well, a, a lot of things right there, but um, uh, tracking food costs, you know, with POS system, uh, P&Ls being fluid, um, you know, and, and menu, changes and kind of what's happening in the industry. And I can just tell you and our listeners, um, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of restaurant owners and the larger majority, um, I would say, and, and I, 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 I didn't track this as a pure number, but just in my mind, I'm thinking 70, 75% of the owners we've talked to have already made changes in their pricing, uh, adjusted them upwards. Um, and some of them have done it more than once, you know, since the food cost issues have been have been uh, where they are for the last several months. Uh, so the trend in my mind is, you know, the menu prices are, are going up and uh, they're also, you know, some people are adjusting the menu itself and, you know, trying to downsize the menu and take off the, you know, the low end sellers and things like that and, and trying to consolidate. But for the most part, we're seeing I'm seeing that prices are going up. Um, you know, I think, and, and that could be geographical, uh, you know, geographically different across the country. I haven't really pegged it to different states or anything like that. But, um, you know, as a general rule, I think the consumer can expect to see higher prices, you know, on their tickets at the end of the night. Right. So we partner with the Hunger Task Force. So every time you order an entree at public table, um, we donate a portion of baby formula to feed infants in the Milwaukee area. You know, we've, we've done, um, when COVID happened, there was a restaurant tour, uh, 
named Caitlin Cullen. Uh, she owns the Tandem and she partnered with the World Kitchen and we distributed food to the hungry in Milwaukee. And that, personally, we probably did about 3000 meals out of public table, you know, that we just donated, you know, um, and then eventually, you know, she started getting compensated and she turned that compensation over to a bunch of restaurants. You know, I resisted at first because I thought it was the right thing to do to the community, but she insisted. So we finally started taking payment for that. Um, you know, we've raised funds for other local charities, some of them, uh, Savage Support, which um, basically um, provides, you know, uh, essential services for breast cancer um, patients. Uh, so just what I mean by essential services, like food, you know, having house cleaning, things like that. So, right. you know, we, we're, we're very, you know, out in the community, people approach us and we can do things we definitely will, you know? So that's one of the things that I think as part of, you know, being, you know, a pillar of the community, you really have to reach out and do the right things within your area to help people. So, you know, that's, that's all of us believe that. Yeah, well, well, I mean, your, your model itself and your concept is really that one that is very socially minded. Um, to begin with, so that just makes sense that community involvement and, and being able to give back and, and finding creative ways to do that would be a part of the uh, part of the business model as well. And it, it sounds like it, that it really is, you know, with you guys. So, uh, you know, I'm sure all the local charities and, and hunger task force and all the all the folks that you're working with are really appreciate appreciative of what you're doing. And um, you know, we want the community to come out and support you so that you can continue to support others that, that really need your help. So, uh, again, I encourage anyone and everyone in the area to, that have, hasn't had the opportunity uh, to come to public table to get them, get themselves down there as quickly as possible and have a meal and uh, enjoy your experience with, uh, with Johnny's team. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're talking to, to Johnny Clark here today with Public Table, and I want to ask you kind of a final question. Uh, and of course, if there's anything else you want to touch on, we can do that as well. But um, just just from your years of experience and, and advice um, or years of experience in business and with starting up this restaurant in the last three to four years, um, any words of wisdom, um, pieces of advice that you might give to fellow restaurant owners out there kind of in a similar position or place where you are? Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, make a plan, work it um, and, you know, be passionate about it. A lot of people get into the restaurant industry because um, I've, I've done consulting and different things. They, they think they're going to make a ton of money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the profits can be there. Don't get me wrong. But it it's, takes a lot of hard work and execution and day-to-day -day making sure that you provide a five-star experience every single day for the guest. Um, and then, you know, pick great locations. Uh, you know, I, I would say a lot of people go into it and think, hey, we're going to open a, a restaurant and, um, because I know how to cook food and I'm really, I really want to do it. But they don't have the experience. They don't have the passion, and they don't they don't execute the model the way it was designed. So I think those are things that you really have to keep in mind when you do things like that, and then make make sure that you surround yourself with great people. Um, you know, the interview process. You know, you just you don't hire somebody to fill a slot. You got to hire somebody to fill a culture, right? And I think that's the big piece of it. Um, so, you know. 
that's my words of wisdom. Man, those are those are awesome. I was sitting there typing while you were talking, making sure I captured those. I, I like that very very succinct and to the point. And uh, I'm sure our our listeners will uh, get great value out of it. So uh, again, everyone, it's Johnny Clark, Public Table, and um, you know we're so glad to have you have you on the show today. Let me give a call out to the website. Um, look, I just got off the homepage. It is www public p-u-b-l-i-c-table t-a-b-l-e.com um, check them out they've got all kinds of great um, uh, components here built into the website you make your reservation rewards program um, you can uh, order catering online um, events at the stage are, are listed there as well and we didn't even talk about events um, johnny sorry about that i missed that one um but uh, check it out on the website, see what's coming next, um, and be sure you get down there and join Johnny and his team and, and have a great experience. And again, Johnny, thank you for being on the show today. We appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk with us and share your story. All right. Thanks, Chef. Take care, man. Appreciate hey, it. Hey, you as well. And to all our listeners, again, we, uh, we want to thank you for being on another episode of Local Leaders Podcast and for checking us out and listening in. And, and we hope you'll tune in for our next show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.